Glory be <clears throat> to God alone. Glory be to God alone. Um, so today is our, our penultimate message on the Lord's Prayer. And as we as we dive into looking at these uh, last two last two petitions of this model um, that Jesus has given us, we're, we're going into lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now Luther's small catechism it states that it is true that God tempts no one, but we ask in this prayer that God would. Um, Preserve and keep us so that the devils, the world, our flesh, uh, it may not deceive or mislead us into false belief, into despair, into other great and shameful sins. And that although we may be um, attached to them, that we may finally prevail and gain the victory. What is worrying today, not just today, but this time that we find ourselves, um, is that when it comes to the term temptation, that word um, it's kind of lost a lot of its meaning. It's been kind of watered down to uh, be uh, simply, uh, you know, the desire to eat something that's not on the diet plan. Or to buy something that we can't really afford. It doesn't mean really now what it should mean. See, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, do we really know what we're actually asking? And just as we heard from the small catechism there, Luther's words that God doesn't tempt us. The tempting comes from the tempter. It comes from the enemy. It comes from the devil. Uh, yeah, but, but again, the world's view of the devil is skewed. See, art is partly to blame for that. Depicting a, a fawn-type caricature with horns, hooves, a pointed tail carrying a pitchfork. That's not the devil. You know, we, we've looked at throughout this series that we need to really dig into what we're praying. And that's no different today as we look at lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And the same way that we have, we're going to look at it, we're going to dig into some scripture and we're going to try and help our understanding. What is it that we're praying? And so let's begin with that fifth petition our request to not be led into temptation. Or as many of you might become accustomed to praying for it, is, is saved from the time of trial. And I've already said just that, that some struggle with what that word temp temptation means, let alone be able to understand the, the concept of temptation. The words that we pray, um, they can add to this, this confusion that's out there. I think of some of the translations of the of the Lord's Prayer. You know, we pray, lead us not into temptation. It, it, it makes sense that people think God is maybe tempting them. Or, or, and we're asking God not to tempt us. But we've seen this morning through Luther's words that that isn't the case. 
And that's backed up fully in the words of Scripture. See, the question of if God tempts us, it's answered in, in James uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, which say that blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a, a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desires, being lured and enticed by it. And then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be, be, do not be deceived, James tells us. Do not be deceived. It is not God. It's not in his nature to be tempted to do wrong, nor is it in his nature to tempt others into doing wrong. See that, that passage, that part of James's letter there is, it's what God's word tells us, that we are tempted by our own desires. Okay, and what's true with that, it, it, it's true that, that God does test us, but testing and tempting, although there's, there's this, this line, the similarity, um, and one can lead to another, they, they, they can work kind of uh, together in, in some respect, because that's one way that the, the word that we've translated here to be temptation could be test. Um, you see, God tests us. And a clear example of that is Abraham being tested to take Isaac up the mountain. Genesis uh, 22. And the purpose of the test, as we're tested, is to see how far we've come. Let I me mean, think about what a test is. Think about a test at school. The idea to see how much information we've been able to retain. A practical test at work to see how competent you are at your job. And God tests us so that we can see where we are on the journey of discipleship. Where we still need to be putting in extra effort. But the problem is that as we're given this opportunity of being tested, which is a good thing, the devil uses it as a chance to, to introduce temptation. Um, think of your own life. For, for a moment, just think uh, times that you felt that you have grown closer to God, that you've increased your faith or that you've deepened your relationship there. These things, they come about at a, out of a, at a time of testing. Yeah. And, and the test is, is not so that God can get anything out of it because he already knows. He knows where we are. He knows what we need. It's for us to be made aware of those things. And it can be through a time of sickness or bereavement or, or family hardship or, or many other different causes. And if we concentrate on God at these times, then we will become more dependent on him and think less of ourselves. Yet, these are the times that we find ourselves most tempted as well. In sickness. There can be the 
the unbiblical, the categorically wrong statements by others or, or thoughts that come into our mind that it's because we've sinned against God that we're sick or we don't have enough faith to be healed. So that's why we're not healed. In hardship, we might be uh, growing in allowing God's strength to be seen through our weakness. But the enemy, he's going to whisper in our ear that, that God doesn't love us. He doesn't care for us. Otherwise, he wouldn't allow us to have this difficult time. And that's just not right. That's not biblical truth. But those tempting words, they can get under our skin. And the phrase that comes to mind right now is that God won't allow you to handle. He won't allow you to, 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 to have more than you can handle. And that, that phrase is a really bad piece of advice. It's a bad piece of teaching, in my opinion, because I believe God will quite often in his testing give us more than we can handle. Why? So that we turn to him. Because in him, all things are possible. In him, in his strength, we get to prosper. And for us to realise this, to be truly humbled, then we need to go through that testing. We need to go through that trial. God does give us more than we can handle. But not in a way of tempting us. Because God doesn't tempt us. But it's a... It does, the testing that comes alerts us to the fact that sometimes we can become big-headed. I can't think of a better way to say it, big-headed. We look for, um, for our glory, we, we, we think about all the things that we have done, the achievements that we have made, the possessions that we have accrued. And our focus, it can slip away from God as we become self-centered and we enter into that, that lie that we are self-sufficient. Okay, we, we, we get tested to see where we are, but as we are tested, we are tempted. Um, because the enemy comes in and he takes that opportunity. And there are two different things that I really want to kind of dig into regarding temptation. The first is that Jesus was tempted and he did not succumb to that temptation. But he knows what it feels like to go through that ordeal. And the second is that the devil is clear, he's clever. He's precise and he's got multiple ways in which to, to echo in a temptation. You see, right after Jesus was baptized, he's, he's heard the words of the Father, you are my son, uh, with you I am well pleased. And he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And each of the temptations that Jesus experiences there, uh, they're coming after his identity. They're coming after who he is, who God the Father has just said that he is. They're questioning his sonship. If you're truly the son of God, then. And the devil asks him. And the aspects of our lives which, which we may struggle in, which we may be more susceptible 
to the enemy he's advances in. They're outlined in these temptations of Jesus, the, the, the temptations that he's faced. He's our appetite, be that that food, be that be that something else that we that we crave, that we that we hunger after. It can easily be made a weak point. We need to hunger what for righteousness' sake, not for anything else. It's our, our approval, and be this the the task that we complete, be it life in general. We we can require, as we think this way, to be doing things for, for other people. Which, which we know isn't the right thing to do. Just so we get to be uh, liked by them. We get their approval. But the only approval that we need is from God. And then there's, there's the ambition. You know, um, and the enemy says to, to, to Jesus... Bow down and I'll give all of this to you. Everything that you see. See, our ambition, even if it's, even if it's got good intentions behind it, it can easily be manipulated by the tempter. He can turn the tables. He can, he can make it become about us, about our position or what we do in life. And we need to wake up. And be, and be more willing to speak about these things. See, too much of the church, it's about hiding away and pretending that the devil isn't real. That it's, it's, it's thought that the, that the evil is, is simply a failure to do good. And that's, that's dangerous if we, if we slip into those, those mindsets. Because evil is real. And it's more, much more than simply failing to do good. The devil is real. He and his army are proponents of evil. The very thought that the devil is, is a made-up being, a figment of someone's imagination in, in the same way that, that Sauron was for Tolkien or, or the White Witch for, for Lewis, it's a disastrous place to go. It's a disastrous thought to have. If that's a seed, it's growing a very, very unhealthy tree. Because why? It gives the devil added power. Because if people don't believe he exists, he can get away with a whole lot. I'm going to say this, that Jesus believed in the devil. He knew that the devil was real and he had no doubt about the supernatural evil that exists. So I ask, why then do people who believe in Jesus some people who believe in Jesus then struggle with this idea. I remember myself at the age of 11 or 12. I was sat at a, at a, a, a camp a conference uh, and I just had a, a been in a seminar and, and, and my, my mom was in, in the same seminar. And I just said, you know, I don't, I don't believe in the devil. And we had a conversation and she said, don't be silly. <laughs> In the only way that mums can, don't be silly. And here's why. And there's a few things that we need to look at. A few things that are going on here in the world, in the church, where we need to say, don't be silly. Because there's the, the thought that maybe believing in the devil uh, means believing in the supernatural. Um, in a way that you're not willing to. Um 
because that means you've got to believe in spacemen. You've got to believe in an out-of-body experience because it's all encompassed in that supernatural. That's not, that's not true. I don't go in for the X-Files stuff. I'm not a fan of paranormal activity and I, I don't think that everything that is labelled as belonging to the, the occult is, is real either. But because I don't go in for all that doesn't mean I'm not fully um, agreeing with and believing that the devil is real, that he exists and that he is the proponent of evil. And let's be clear, because scripture doesn't tell us a great deal about the devil. It tells us some stuff, but it doesn't, doesn't go into massive detail. Why is that the case? Well, I think that's the case because of his inferiority to God. Okay? Why does the scripture need to tell us more about the devil than we need to know? Because he's inferior to God and the scripture is full of good news. It's full of truth of God. And it highlights only some of those things of the enemy that we need to be aware of and pick up on. Yeah, we've already looked at temptation. We've looked at the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. And, and we've gone into it as, as though the enemy can identify our weakness and he can come after us. And he can attack many different areas of our lives. And he can go about it in many different ways as well. You know, the clear and the obvious. We looked at that last week as we, as we looked at sin and, 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 and how it entered the world. The, the serpent in the garden of Genesis 3 you know, slippery, deceptive, you know. But he can also be loud and proud, kind of in your face. He can come at you like a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us this, you know. The enemy, be wary, be careful, be on your guard because the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. But he can also be sly. You can also dig at the roots of your plans. You know, think of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, as the foxes digging at the, um, the, the roots of the vine. Okay? The vine is a, a great picture of Israel. It's a great picture of now the church. We, we don't want to see the enemy digging at the roots. We don't want to... To, to not be aware and, and, and protect ourselves from that. Because whichever way he decides to come at us, either individually or collectively, we've got to be ready to name it. Because it'll have an impact on how we defend ourselves if we know and we can see how it is that he's trying to come and attack us. Whatever's thrown at us, the best defence that we have is the only real weapon that we've been given by God, and that is scripture. See, remember, as Jesus was tempted in the desert, every time that Satan came at him, the defense of Jesus was to say, it is written. Okay, it is written. And he would go and he would quote scripture. He didn't sell, he didn't, he didn't have to quote where it was from, chapter and verse. The enemy knew that it was scripture and it was enough It was enough to push him back. See, because the enemy knows scripture. He knows it inside out. And you'll see that in, in those temptations with Jesus, 
Satan himself would even refer to it. Because if he wants to quote scripture, he will. If he thinks it's to his benefit, he'll use it. And he'll twist it. And there's so much going on right now for us here at St. John. Yeah, we've got thoughts of the challenge of, of the inerrancy of Scripture. We've got doctrine which forms us to be followers of Jesus uh, being disputed. And I'm in no doubt whatsoever that the enemy is at work in all of this. We know from the word of God that, that he does not stand in truth. In fact, Jesus tells us that in John 8, 44, that there is no truth in him. Satan has no truth in him. He is ruthless in his task. He's deceitful in his pursuit. He's crafty. And if you didn't know this already, or you're, or you're wanting to kind of like really look at it a bit more, you know, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen sums it up. Because even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. That's how crafty he is. So he likes to work from what I, what I, what I, what I say, half-truths, underhanded tactics to, to get us on board with maybe what he's doing. And we can, we can see this happening across churches today, across the world, where people are walking away from scriptural truths or only holding on to half of it in order to, to push their, or, or actually I say no, to push his agenda. We know that the devil is an enemy which we cannot face on our own. Okay, we, If we try to do it, we're going to fail. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we continue to look to the truth of his written word, then we know the enemy that we face has a limited power. We know that he already knows, in fact, that he is defeated because Christ has won the victory. His death on the cross, his resurrection on that first Easter morning, it's defeated the wage of sin, which is death. And when we come again to look at this, we see in Scripture that Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians, as he's writing there, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, that Christ, when he comes again, will destroy Satan completely. And that, for us to think that we cannot be tempted or we can live a life without temptation is folly. Because temptation is not an elective for a disciple. The enemy is not going to let that be the case. He's not going to let that happen. We don't want to try and, and run away from it and, and hide from it. We need to stand and we need to face it. But we need to face it not in our own power, but in the power of the one who has made us a new creation. Who has called us to be an ambassador for his kingdom. See, we're called by God to stand firm in our faith. And one of the things that can often be our downfall is to feel like it's not our fight or to, to ask the question of why, why even bother when the outcome is already known. To that, 
I remind you of something that I said last week, that sin is not only doing wrong, but is also refusing to do right. So, as we come towards the end of, of, of today's message, a little shorter than, than it has been um, past few weeks, um, I'm going to highlight three things. So we're not quite at the end, but we're nearly there. Uh, first, that as disciples, as, as children of God, we have got the Holy Spirit within us. We are called to, as Paul writes in, uh, in Romans 13, to put on Christ. That's in verse 14. And that is to really let Christ take control, to put him on, to, to not give into, or, or as Paul says, to, to not make provision for the flesh and our own desires. So how do we put on Christ? We put on Christ by investing in our relationship with God. We, we get to stand against sin, the world and the devil. How can we be light bearers if we are not in fact connected to the vine? Come back to that picture, you know, of the fox trying to dig at the roots. Well, the vine is the church. The vine is Jesus. It's life with Jesus. We are his branches and we need to bear fruit. We need to stay connected in order to bear fruit. How are we making sure that we're not cut off and thrown in the fire? How are we making sure that we protect the vine from that sly underground work of the enemy coming at the church. You see, although reading scripture and, and spending time in prayer is essential, okay, we have got to do that. We need to be preparing ourselves for the fight and in order to prepare ourselves for the fight we've got to do things in scripture that the scripture tells us we should be doing and one of those things is to be living a life of confession okay um philosopher socrates once said that uh, an unexamined life is not worth living and i'd say for us as followers of christ a life without confession is a life not examined. It's a life that's not examined in light of the gospel, which is what we're called to do. So it's, it's so important that we talk to other people of faith about our life, about our walk with Jesus. Um, not allowing it to just flitter away thoughts um not thinking of confession as something that people used to do it's a bygone practice we don't need it anymore it's not really important because it is important if we're really going to allow others to hold us accountable to biblical living we've got to open up to them we're not going to succeed on our own and naming our faults speaking out our misdeeds, speaking them out loud so they can be heard, so we ourselves can hear them. It releases the power that the enemy has over us because of them. Okay, sin unconfessed is only adding power to the enemy. And it's ironic really that 
in today's practices, in today's world, we, we've got psychologists that encourage people to come and name reality so they can face reality. And people pay a fortune to go and speak to someone and be talked through that. But when it comes to the safety of confession, the only, the only place where we can receive the power to be freed from those things that imprison us, we struggle to name reality. I say we generally, um, and if you struggle in that, then speak to someone. I'm here available to talk to you. And if you really want to, we can go and, 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 and take a time of, 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 of deep uh, confession in, in, in the practice of, of Luther. We can do many, we can just have an informal chat uh, where you can talk things through and we can just remind you, I can just remind you of, of God's love for you. See, when we listen to someone else in confession, we need to have the ears of Christ and the lips of Christ. We need to hear it, not in any way judging, and we need to speak words of truth, words from Scripture. You are my child. You're my beloved. I'm pleased with you. I've forgiven you. You've come, you've repented. Now let's move forward. See, the, re the reality is, that we need to say yes to Jesus, but in saying yes to Jesus, it means saying no to the devil. And it doesn't mean saying that you don't believe in his existence, but it's saying that you will stand for truth, the truth of scripture over and above his lies. And where we hold in sin and we don't confess it, it allows his lies to fester. See, as we do this, we put ourselves in God's mercy. We ask him and we give him permission to reshape us. We can't just simply go name the things that we've done wrong, leave them at the door and be done by it because that just leaves a space, a void in our lives. And God doesn't want that. He wants to make us new. He remolds us. He reshapes us. Okay. We're made new when we leave our sins at the foot of the cross. And as we gather together as the family of God and we hold each other accountable to living the life which we're called to live, the reshaped life, the remolded life that we step into as we proclaim Jesus to be Lord, we're also given the spiritual armour by which we can be protected. Yeah, Ephesians 6 teaches us all about this armour, doesn't it? As we are told to stand to fasten the belt of truth around our waist, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to, to have those feet wearing the sandals of peace, ready to proclaim the gospel and to carry with us the shield of faith, which will quench the flaming arrows of evil, take the helmet of salvation and carry the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You are in a battle. We are all in a battle. And even though the war has been won, the battle rages on. As disciples of Christ, we don't get to be neutral. We don't get to, uh, to stand on the sidelines and just uh, watch. We've been signed up for God's forces. And that, that song just came to my mind right now. My kids kind of love this one and they do all the actions to it. Um, you're in the Lord's army. 
yeah. Um, zoom over the enemy, um, and, and my, my kids will be singing it to me later, but just the idea of it. You're in the Lord's army. Are you, are you going to say, yes, sir? Yes, sir, I'm in the Lord's army. And linked with that, as we, as we conclude today, I want, I want to kind of leave with you words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he says, in sharing, in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, because no one in serving in an army gets entangled in everyday affairs, the soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. So go about life, yes, but don't get caught up in the affairs of this world. Instead, concentrate on the one who has enlisted you into his army and doing all that you can to satisfy him. Because as we do that, we get to claim the promises of God, you know, the, the great deliverer. And we get to live into that promise that, that Psalm 91 verses 14 to 16 tell us. As God says, those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. And when they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honour them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. That's what God wants to do for you as you sign up for his army. So maybe you just need to spend a little time right now reflecting on that. Are you ready for the fight? Are you enlisted? Or are you yet to sign up? And the only way, the only way to live life is to live for him, to be guided by him, and to fight for him as he fights and has fought for you. And that's through all age that he's done that. And we're going to go now um, as we prepare uh, to come to communion. We're going to uh, just have the song played, Rock of Ages. Um, stand on him. Stand on his word, stand on his truth. And stand against the lies of the enemy.